You're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. Just in advance, uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It really means a lot to us to have uh, to have you join us and and and. Uh, talk about your experiences as a reporter in Ukraine and and your new book. So thank you in advance. Um, once again, my name is Kyle Matthews. I'm executive director of the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. And uh, our colleagues here in Canada, we've been working um, with parliamentarians uh, to prevent or punish atrocity crimes committed in this war. Uh, we've uh, And we're leading up this Twitter space as part of a lead up to the Montreal International Security Summit that we're going to host with the Conrad Adenauer Foundation, European Council on Foreign Relations, and the Canadian government on the war in Ukraine to examine the impact of Russia's war of aggression in Ukraine on global security and human rights. So it's a very timely discussion. So uh, let me, let's go right into it. I think we have enough people here to start. Uh, Chris, uh, thank you for joining us. Hey, yeah, thank you for having me. For those of you, I'm sure everyone who um, who has tuned in here today um, uh, knows who Chris is, but for those of you who don't, uh, Chris is a journalist with Financial Times. He's been um, reporting from Ukraine for, my understanding is, 13 years plus, so he has a lot of experience in the country and the region, and um, we're here today to to talk to him about his his newest book, The War Came to Us. So, Chris, let's. Uh, if you're ready, let's let's go right into the discussion. I'm ready. So, Chris, I'd like to start off. So, just a bit of your background. I find it quite interesting. You first came to Ukraine as a volunteer member of the Peace Corps, um, and you spent two years in Bakhmut, where you taught English at Krasny School, and also had an English club at the Central Library. Not an English pub, but an English club at the Central Library. <laughs> um, how did this experience influence your vision of Ukraine and the work that you do today as a reporter? Yeah, well, it, it certainly experienced um, my, my impact in my work hugely. Um, you know, being being a Peace Corps volunteer allows you, or well, it allowed me uh, to uh, really um, uh, put myself into this community of people, um, be a part of, of, of this community, um, to, to get to know Ukraine and Ukrainians, um, on a very up close and personal level, um, and, and not from the capital, right? Um, I was living in the city of Artyomovsk at the time. Um, now it's called Bakhmut, and a lot of people will probably recognize that name as a dateline from my reporting and other reporters' um, reporting because it was the site of this brutal uh, ten-month battle that saw tens of thousands of lives lost and. And the Russians ultimately destroy it before occupying it. Um, but before that, it was this really uh, quaint, uh, pretty little town in the east, uh, where you know I through these through, through through teaching at various schools, working with community organizations, I got to know the the place and the people uh, very very well. And the the experiences that I had, the relationships that I built, um, you know, would would later come in handy uh, because as as I worked as a journalist covering the politics of the country, which are very complex, despite the attempts of some Ukrainian politicians to paint it as uh, black and white or east and west, 
Um, you know, it, it was a much, Ukraine still is, uh, was and, and is a, a very complex place. And being there uh, in the East, um, uh, in this small town where I wasn't just visiting for a couple of weeks, but spending uh, two full years living as a local, uh, you know, it provided me this really valuable perspective and, and, and ground level knowledge and experience that uh, ultimately would, I think, shape my, uh, shape my reporting and certainly um, allow me to sort of uh, check uh, various uh, statements uh, made by, uh, let's say, the, the Kremlin, for example, uh, many of the lies that the Kremlin pushes about Ukraine uh, or, or uh, even pro-Russian politicians over the years um, that they would uh, use in their messaging saying that, uh, you know, this thing about Russian speakers in the East or um, that thing about uh, uh, people living in the East versus those in the, in, in the West. Um, you know, I would know from having spent such a long period of time in, in Bakhmut that, um, you know, this was, this was an area that was much more complex than it was ever made out to be. And I came across plenty of, of Ukrainian speakers and uh, entire communities of people that had come over uh, from, from Western Ukraine and settled in, in the 1940s post-war. Uh, and so it, it, was, it was much more than this one-dimensional image that many people uh, would, would, would make it out to be. And that certainly helped in um, you know, writing about uh, the, the place um, in, in a more complex uh, manner. Chris, why did you decide to write about your own journey to and in Ukraine in parallel with Ukraine's modern history? You know, I, I, the, the books that I've always read that I feel like I've connected most with and, and just enjoyed from a reader's perspective were those told by a narrator, somebody who isn't just telling stories um, second or third hand, but had experienced them themselves. And I remember actually when I was a Peace Corps volunteer, there was a book that I read by a, another former Peace Corps volunteer who had served in China. And the book is called Rivertown, in case anybody is interested. And I thought that the book was so fascinating, and it was a, a really incredible um, story uh, told through an American who showed up in, in a place um, they, you know, he never really um, imagined he would be, I guess, and uh, spent two years there, um, you know, figuring things out and and learning uh, the place, the culture, the people, and falling deeply in love with it. And that mirrored the experience that I was having. And so that book was always one that was sort of in the back of my mind uh, when I would think about uh, whether or not I would write a book in the future. And then other books that I read uh, that were written by uh, foreign correspondents um, uh, about about uh, the U.S. Uh, war in Afghanistan or Iraq or uh, stories from uh, Syria, for example. Uh, the ones that I found most interesting and useful uh, were those that were written from the perspective of a correspondent who had uh, gotten to know the place as intimately as I had gotten to know Eastern Ukraine. And so, um, you know, that that was one reason why. And the second was. Uh, you know, really, I, I have been here for 13 years uh, with very few breaks in between. Um, and, and so I've seen all of these events, the, the uh, Euromaidan uh, Revolution of Dignity uh, up close. Um, uh, you know, I, I experienced it firsthand. 
Um, I spent countless nights on the square with um, the, the Ukrainian revolutionaries. I was in Crimea when Russia invaded with its little green men. I was in the Donbass when they moved uh, to the east. And I was here for the many, many years in between when a lot of eyes uh, were diverted elsewhere and, and nobody was really paying attention uh, to Ukraine uh, and, until 2022. And, and I've been here um, since and throughout the full-scale invasion as well. So I thought... You know, those two things, my personal experiences and, and, and knowledge of the place, um, plus me being uh, at all of these places um, when these events uh, happened, put me in this unique position to tell the story um, from a first-person perspective, but, but also um, to, to use myself as the vehicle, really, to uh, uh, take you on this journey as, as I experienced it. But... Um, allowing you also to meet the people that I met along the way, who tell me their stories, um, you know, who were many of whom were in my reporting or were close friends of mine from Bakhmut or Kiev or, or other places. Uh, and so, you know, while I am the person who is telling the story, there are all of these other stories that are collected. And throughout the book, you meet dozens of people uh, from, from, from various uh, regions of the country, various ages, um, in uh, various uh, predicaments. Chris, um, how have you seen Ukraine, Ukrainians, and Ukrainian identity change over the years, especially after the revolution, the invasion of Crimea, and since the invasion of 2022? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I think, you know, uh, Ukrainians are now more proud of their country and patriotic and, uh, I would say, united than ever before. I think that's because they really are people who are very good at mobilizing and uniting for a common cause. Uh, we've seen that now uh, with the last two revolutions, certainly, and uh, the Orange Revolution and the Maidan Revolution. Um, uh, I think it's also because, um, you know, Vladimir Putin has, has pushed Ukraine uh, and Ukrainians toward, uh, toward this unity. Um, you know, he, his efforts to divide and conquer the country have completely backfired and um, you know, now Ukrainian culture and language is thriving. I think like it, it hasn't in, in the past 20 years, perhaps here. Um, you know, so there is this really strong national identity that has emerged from this really horrific war. I don't think there's um, uh, really any going back to the way it, it, it had been. Um, there's this really outspoken um, uh, you know, uh, young generation of Ukrainians who are coming of age having not experienced any of the Soviet Union or uh, millennials with very um, little recollection of the Soviet Union. So they're, they're, they're now uh, coming of age as adults uh, in uh, an independent Ukraine that has great aspirations to join the European Union it's much more uh, integrated uh, with the West than than ever before, and you know when I when I you know speak with my Ukrainian friends and 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 other uh, Ukrainians here, and, and then also with uh, my my friends in Poland or uh, uh, Czechs or uh, anywhere really in Europe, I see very little difference now, um, and I think that difference did exist in a in a greater way when I first arrived back in two thousand ten. Um, when I think Ukraine's future was a little bit more uncertain. Uh, Viktor Yanukovych had just been elected a couple of months before I arrived here, and a lot of people saw his um, legitimate election in, in, in uh, that round, at least, um, as, a, as a step back. And, um, you know, there was some concern that Ukraine wouldn't 
um, make it to to the, the point that it's at now, uh, applying for membership in, in the EU. Um, but here we are. And, you know, I think it's very much a burgeoning uh, democracy that has a lot of promise. If only uh, we can find a way to end this war with its with its victory. We're talking to, to Chris Miller and his new book, The War Came to Us. For those of you who don't follow Chris on, on Twitter or now X, please, please give him a follow. Um, Chris, I, I'd like to ask you about looking at Ukraine's recent history. What are some of the mistakes that were made by leaders in the U.S., European Union countries, and Canada? Are, are there things that should have been done to prevent Russia's invasion of Ukraine? And what kind of hard lessons should be drawn about the mistakes that were made? Yeah, I think, you know, generally speaking, after after Putin and Russia's uh, invasion of Georgia in 2008, I think that the West largely failed to take seriously the threat that he would uh, perhaps uh, look look beyond Georgia and look beyond uh, Russia's borders, uh, particularly at Ukraine, uh, as as a place um, that he also could uh, could invade and and, and conquer. Um, you know, Ukrainians certainly felt that that was a possibility, and and I think on I can recount on on many occasions that uh, they they raised this issue with with Western partners. But I I just don't know if if uh, many in the West um, you know really believed that would happen. Um, I, you know, the the annexation of Crimea, the invasion of Crimea uh, was was something that caught everybody off guard. Nobody thought that there would be. Uh, a land grab like this uh, post uh, post World War II, right? Um, something like this that would disrupt uh, the global uh, the global security order or, or Europe's uh, Euro- European security in 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 such a way. Um, but uh, you know, even then, um, I think after after 2014, many in the West didn't take it seriously enough um, when Ukrainians were uh, shouting uh, to the rooftops, "If you know, if you don't help us stop." Uh, Vladimir Putin now he'll keep going and you know one of the failures I think was that over the many years between 2014 and the invasion of 2022 the West didn't do what it's doing now which is um, putting billions of dollars into uh, building up Ukraine's defenses its military um, rebuilding a military from um, uh, almost almost um, I mean well I'll rephrase that the, the Ukrainian military in 2014 was was in extremely bad shape. The the people who responded and fought in defense of Ukraine during Russia's invasion were um, largely the volunteers that uh, were involved in in Euromaidan. Uh, eventually, they would uh, join the official military structures and National Guard structures, uh, and and with a little bit of of Western training over the years, uh, they would grow to be a much more formidable force. Um, but I think there's a lot that could have been done to uh, further train them up, to certainly to better arm them. Um, and I think that if, if done earlier, uh, that may have been something that could have deterred uh, Russia from, from invading in, uh, on the scale uh, in which it did in February of 2022. Chris, um, in your book, you, you talk to a variety of people from soldiers to doctors and a famous chef who now cooks for soldiers. Why was it important for you to bring these different voices and perspectives um, to, to the readers of your book? Uh, you know, the, the, the simple answer is I've met a, a lot of incredible people here, some of the most fascinating and inspirational 
um, people I've, I've met uh, throughout my, my life so far. Um, and I really wanted them to be front and center and, and uh, to, to show uh, much of the rest of the world, you know, the, the roles in which they have played uh, to, um, to help uh, defend against uh, Russia's invasion here. Um, you know, one of the things I think as somebody who works in the news business is that oftentimes we get caught up in writing the, the macro level uh, uh, report, right? Um, you know, what's, what's at stake? And, and that's certainly important. Um, but oftentimes it can be about what Washington is saying versus what Moscow is saying, what NATO is doing and, and uh, you know, what's coming out of Berlin or Paris or, or London. And if you, if you only have 600 words of space or, or, or 800 words, oftentimes you don't hear a lot of Ukrainian voices. And uh, it ends up being uh, a story that is uh, about what Moscow wants out of this or what the U.S. wants um, for Ukraine. And I think more than anything, it's important to hear from Ukrainians themselves about what they want for their country. Uh, and also, you know, they have a lot to say. And, and um, I, you know, I, I, that's why I wanted to get as many voices as I could in here, um, particularly those of um, folks you might you might say are uh, ordinary people. Right. They're not they're not uh, President Zelensky or the defense minister Reznikov. Um, but if you read the book, you know, those names are in there. But a, a lot of the people uh, who are featured are people who were uh, school teachers or um, uh, chefs or, you know, some other uh, very, uh, who had some other very normal existence before the war, either in 2014 and 2022, and have now done uh, very extraordinary things in responding to, to the war in order to help their, their country. You're listening to a discussion uh, with Chris Miller, The War Came to Us, his latest book. Um, Chris, I'd like to, you know, as as a reporter and as someone who now considers Ukraine as his second home, how do you handle the war on a daily basis? <laughs> um, well, one day at a time. Um, you know, I I have a great support system. Um, that being my 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 wife back back home uh, in the U.S. and my parents over there, um, who are always available and. Uh, willing to take my call if I need to speak, uh, uh, you know, to them. I've got a great support system of friends uh, here in Ukraine, uh, not only in Kiev, but I've I've spent quite a lot of time everywhere uh, in, in this country. So uh, just about anywhere I go, I, I I know at least a couple of people. Um, so whether if I'm if I'm reporting out in the east, uh, you know, I, I usually will get in touch with some of my friends out there or um, in Odessa, you know, the same thing. Uh, but I spend I'm also a very much an extrovert. I really like speaking to people, which uh, is a is a big reason why I do the job that I do. Um, and and so, uh, if I spend a day writing um, stories about uh, you know another another round of uh, Russian drone attacks, uh, you know something something awful like that, I will go out in the evening and and meet my friends. Um, see people here in Kiev. Uh, it's still an extremely vibrant city, despite the fact that uh, it's it's being bombarded with Russian missiles and and drones on on an almost daily um, basis. Um, you know the restaurants are full, people are out and about, and so you can step away for a, uh, for for a moment and feel this sense of of normalcy. And so that that has helped, uh, I think. You know, keep me 
keep me sane. And um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'll leave. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, Chris. Chris, I, I'd like to, to to pivot towards what's happening now in the war. There's there's a lot of talk about the counteroffensive, whether it's working or not. Mm. Can you give us your perspective of being a journalist in Ukraine now? What is happening? Yeah, well, the, yeah, the big the big talk certainly is about the counteroffensive, and uh, I think the expectations that many in the West have have put on Ukraine. Um, uh, and, and and you know, I think the counteroffensive got off to a rough start a couple of months ago. Uh, there were these huge expectations that 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 U- the Ukrainians would uh, roll across the front lines in the south. Um, cutting off this land land bridge and having the type of success that they did uh, last autumn in in uh, the Kharkiv region um, and and a little bit later on in Kherson, um, but but it, it was it was clear very very early on that they were going to struggle a little bit more um, just because um, if if for no other reason uh, the Russians had a lot of time to dig in and and really fortify their positions. They've got these miles deep minefields, anti uh, anti tank trenches. Um, they're using uh, uh, helicopters to a, a large degree uh, with with uh, uh, fairly good success in, in keeping uh, Russian armor at, at bay. Uh, but also the Ukrainians didn't have as as much time as they had hoped to train up fresh soldiers. Uh, a lot of their very experienced uh, troops and, and brigades had been used in the defense of Bakhmut, for example. Some of those are, are not currently involved in the counteroffensive. But also they were expected to carry out this extremely complex operation with uh, limited weaponry and, and without uh, some of the things like modern jets, for example, that uh, the United States would include in an operation uh, like this. And so, you know, there's, there's big expectations, um, but... Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, the, the Ukrainians are, are expected to do um, the, the uh, you know, this incredible uh, thing with, without having everything that um, they need to do it. Um, right now, I think one interesting thing is the uh, increase in drone attacks. Um, Ukraine is, is now uh, opening up some new fronts, I think, as a way to uh, both humiliate the Kremlin, distract the Kremlin, try to get its military to reallocate resources to other places from the front line. And so it's now striking inside of Russia with these uh, cheap, long-range drones that have been produced here domestically, and also with these uh, sea drones that they're using or used today to attack a landing ship, a Russian landing ship, uh, over at the port of Novorossiysk. Um, so that's definitely something that I think is, has the Russians worried. Um, that has definitely piqued the interest of, of journalists like myself. Um, certainly, Ukraine's uh, Western backers are pleased to see that Ukrainians have been able to develop these drones and are and, and are using them effectively. Chris, um, you know, we all want to imagine a future where Ukraine is once again a peaceful country. Um, I'm wondering, from your perspective, reporting in the country and, and having lived there, how will this invasion be viewed as shaping Ukrainian identity and democracy? And and what is the future relationship between Ukraine, you think, with its EU uh, uh, neighboring states and eventually NATO? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love I love um, visualizing Ukraine at peace again because this country is stunningly 
beautiful and filled with incredible people and uh, culture and food and um, seeing how far it has already come, even amid war, is uh, just remarkable. I do think that even if the war ended today, the the um, recovery process would be extremely difficult and very long. Um, not only because Ukraine is now the most mined country in the world and you have problems, uh, you know, military related problems like that that will persist, but the psychological impact this war has uh, taken and the toll that it's that it's taken on Ukrainians is something that's going um, to take years, I think, to um, uh, to really grasp and 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 um, to to ensure people get the help that they need. Um, I do think that Ukrainian identity is going to and patriotism and a national identity is going to come out of this much, much stronger. Uh, I'm really excited to see what Ukraine's uh, younger generations are able to do, but I am concerned that they're losing so many, uh, you know, really uh, fantastic uh, people, particularly young people, that that could have uh, an impact on um, the, the future of the country. Um, in relation to the EU, it's it's going to be really interesting to see um, as as Ukraine gets closer to to membership, uh, what the relationship is like, because Ukrainians are. Uh, fighting and dying, not only uh, for their country and, and in defense of their country, but but also uh, uh, all of Europe and European security. And I think that they're going to be in a place to um, certainly make um, make some demands. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, how how the rest of the EU uh, responds to that, um, particularly countries um, uh, like Germany and France. Um, and, and also to see where the relationship, uh, Ukraine's relationship with um, Hungary and Poland go after this. And um, that, that will impact, I think, uh, you know, how quickly uh, Ukraine is able to, to become an EU member uh, and also what, what, what type of member it's going to be, whether it's going to be um, a country that is, that is looked at by, by other members uh, for, for inspiration and, and a, a sort of leading country. Um, or, or something, or some uh, a country that mostly goes along with uh, EU membership. Chris, we said we'd have you on for about thirty minutes. We're right at that timeline, so so this has been a fascinating discussion. We've learned so much. For those of you listening in, please, if you're not following Chris, give him a follow on Twitter and check out his book. The war came to us. I'm sure if you Google it, you can find it. You can order it. Um, it, it, it is a phenomenal book and, and Chris just want to thank you for joining us today and if you ever are back in North America want to come to Montreal we'd love to host you in person so so thank you so much for joining us today oh that would be great yeah thank you for having me and for anybody that's listening I'm, I'm uh, you know always available my, my contacts are in my bio and uh, you know if, if DMs are still working on this platform there's that as well I'm happy to, <laughs> to answer any questions if, if there's something that you wanted to ask and we didn't cover um, but thank you very much, Kyle. Uh, this, was, this was great.